I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And right now, as I sit here, if this were a typical year, I would be in Kahlua Kona. I'd likely be sweating profusely, breathing hard, all the while underwhelming many of the world's best athletes as I blind them with my pasty white British skin. Up and down I would churn along the famed Alihi Drive, just a little jog to break up the carnival of pre-race meetings, a little media, breakfast with Bob, and the annual Purple Patch pre-race meetup. Yep. I would typically be in Kona for the Hawaii Ironman World Championships. Joining me, Kelly, Baxter, Carmel, Pete and Joe, perhaps two or three other guests who helped with a week of craziness, expectations and up and down emotions. This event always brings every emotion. I tell you this, folks, for every single magical occasion on this island, I'm sure to be given lessons. I'm sure and we are sure to be humbled, we will get pushed down. This event and occasion is simply unforgiving for athletes, coaches and spectators, and that's what makes it special. But we are not there. 2020 is not a normal year. And so instead today we dive into some of the almost 20 years of being in Kona, and we're going to pick apart six stories and lessons. Yes, for today's show, a little bit of fun, I've chosen six personal stories to tell you. All I have to start are the titles, and I am going to go free form, each hopefully drawing out a lesson for navigating the island and even giving a little funny tidbits thrown in. It's perfect timing, I should say this actually, as Kona is the typical mark in the calendar that distinguishes the end of a racing season and the upcoming, and it marks the need for a reset. I use this word deliberately because in next week's show, we're going to be dedicated to a special, special announcement and a performance reset. Now, much more on that coming, but that's next week's show. I just promise you it's unmissable. This week, it's all about Kona, but first... A squatty update. Yes, we stick with the coma theme for this week's squatty update. This week, Purple Patch athletes are hitting Kona, full steam ahead. From Delaware, Kansas, Ecuador, London, Cyprus, Australia, San Francisco, Miami, and many, many other places. And no, they won't all be in Kona but we this week are hosting the Kona Challenge. Our athletes are going to take on the distance of the Hawaii Ironman, and they get to challenge themselves, share the experiences, cheer and support one another, and also throw in a little bit of friendly competition. Goodness me, we've already got relays involved as well. They have to complete the Ironman distances, swim, bike, and run, and they get to do it over a choice of a single day, Yep, that actually makes up a real Ironman, in case you're counting. 
three days, obviously still a challenge, but accessible, or seven days for the really time-starved or newer athletes. And I must say, it matters not what they choose, but the duration that they must accumulate is to swim 3.8 kilometers, ride 180 kilometers, that's 112 miles, and run a marathon 42 kilometers or 26.2 miles. They will earn bonus prices for their silly outfits, crazy training options, and of course, all sorts of ingenuity. The key is that each person has something to challenge themselves and also, of course, to connect with others. Sounds appealing, doesn't it? I wish that you were here to join us. You can be. You know the drill. Head to purplepatchfitness.com. But now, Baza, give me the little rock and roll. In fact, let's go ukulele. We're going to do Word of the Week. We like the way he thinks. Serious with the way. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Yes, the Word of the Week is the Purple Patch Pro Athletes. That's a long Word of the Week, isn't it? But still, this week, because it's the week of the Hawaii Ironman, I want to take a step back and say a big thank you to many of the professional and more elite athletes that we've had the privilege of supporting on the Big Island. Now, I cannot mention the name of the more than 300 amateur athletes that we've had compete under the Purple Patch banner over the last 12 or 13 years, but I can dig deep into my memory bank and try, 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 and I'm really trying, to remember and thank the elite age groupers and pros from the island. And so I'm going to try and keep it brief, but I might even add a few snippets along the way. Here we go, deliberately, in no particular order. Number one, Tyler Stewart. You were the first. Thank you, Tyler. Number two, Luke Bell, an absolute legend of an athlete. Well done, you're a legend, mate. Number three, Chris Lieto. Massive respect and what I would label the pros pro. What a journey we had together. Brother, Matt Lieto, a simply brilliant guy. I still remember the helicopter, Matt. Rasmus Henning, more than a great athlete, an amazing human being, and it was a great journey. Tim Reed, a gentleman, a purple patch world champion at the 70.3 distance, we didn't get Kona quite right, but Tim, I really hope that you do one day crack the nut on that island. Rachel Joyce, a special, special athlete. I'll say this, I think Rachel is probably the best female athlete to not have won the Hawaii Ironman, but what a career she had. Meredith Kessler, 10 years of special, sis. So many great results coming from financial services, the epitome of time-starved, all the way to top 10 at the Hawaii Ironman World Championship and, of course, your storied career. Well done and thank you. Rich Viola, double amateur world champion in the same year. You cracked it, Captain. Well done. And, of course, going on to develop the brand Everyman Jack. What a great athlete and a great businessman and, what you might know, a great family man. Laura Siddle, a fantastic career, a great purple patch career, so many great experiences, and a couple of times on the Big Island. King, Knevin, Knollington, the Knight. Yes, Kevin Collington. Well done, Captain. 
So far, so good. Sarah Kamado, well done, a great story. Mum, two children coming on. Sami Inkinen, sub nine hours, amateur world champion, never training more than 12 hours in any week. That is something special and a beacon for the time-starved athlete. It's no wonder that I called you Sami the Bull. Sarah Piampiano, so many memories, so many great performances, multiple top 10 on the Big Island. Jesse Thomas, 10 years of a magical coaching journey. You might know him for Wildflower, but I know him for the whole 10 years. James Cotter, a great part of Purple Patch. Thank you, and so glad that you're a part of it. Lindsay Corbin, what more can I say, but what a great career. So inspiring to so many. And finally, Michael Lovato. So fun to work with you for that year. It was a great journey, and I learned from you. Hopefully, you learned from me. Now, I know that I missed someone, or maybe even a few. And goodness me, if I really am sorry if I did. Because the reason I said this today, though, for those that I missed, and of course, those that I listed, is that every athlete delivers a coach lessons, insights, ways to grow, ways to improve. And so a chance for me to say thank you to all, to all of the Purple Patch athletes around the Kona Hawaii Ironman. Of course, I left out many here that have not been to the Big Island. And so if you didn't hear your name, it's because you didn't go to Hawaii as a Purple Patch Pro. But you guys, the Kona folks, you helped me build as a coach and Purple Patch as a community. So that is why the word of the week this week is the Purple Patch Pro Athletes Kona Edition. Now, let's get on with the stories. So let's get on with the meat and potatoes. All right, troops, I'm going pretty freeform for the meat and potatoes this week. All I have is a title. So you might have some dirty words, some straying, some umbuts, babies, and ifs. But this is the way we're doing it this week. I have six stories, six simple stories. And they're all anchored around the Hawaii Ironman. The title of story number one, the Chris Liado story. So in coaching Chris, as I go back, we started working with each other in 2008. And at that time, Chris was already a world-class athlete. He was already very well known. He was already an Ironman champion. And yet he'd always struggled at the Hawaii Ironman. And in meeting Chris, I'll never forget the first question that he asked me. I used to race you as an athlete and I'd stuff you every time. Why should you coach me? And the answer was, because of exactly that reason. Because I learned how to do it the hard way, and I never quite got there. But from my dumb mistakes, I think I can make you be better. And so there started a great coaching relationship. Now, in looking at Chris, it would have been easy for me to be relatively subservient, to mimic, to follow the path of what had worked for him before. But our quest was to perform at the Hawaii Ironman World Championships, where he'd had good two-thirds of days, but had never had a complete story of a great day. And so I decided to go against the grain. And I looked at his training progression 
and basically decided to change almost everything. We cut his training hours down by about a third, but ironically over the course of the year, he accumulated more training hours because of great consistency. But with his background in the sport, he had so much fitness and resilience, it just wasn't a limiting factor. We amplified intensity in the program. We integrated consistent strength training. I had him eat consistently more than he ever had before. And we got to embrace this magic word that I'm known for, recovery. Sleep, 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 rest, rest, rest. We took it as important or as valued as any training session. So over the course of the year, he gradually improved. He had great performances. He built confidence. And we started to really think about tactics. We had to evolve the tactics and we had to stay very, very calm all day. When we got to the Big Island, the conditions acted in his favor on that year, but he also executed a flawless, flawless tactical race relative to our expectations. When we got to the turnaround, I said to him, Chris, I don't want to have heard your name on the broadcast yet. Known as a very strong cyclist, he traditionally would be way out in front. And we got to the turn, and I had heard his name. But it was because the commentator was saying, it's very surprising, Chris Lieto is not at the front of the race. But it was only after that turn that Chris made his move. And for the last 40 miles, he managed to extend his lead. One minute, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, eight minutes, 10-minute lead coming into 2-2. He just had to stay calm and do the best run that he possibly could. On the rest of the field, making it very hard for them on the bike, they ended up suffering on the run. And there was one solitary person, one solitary person who came in 13 or 14 minutes behind Chris off the bike. That guy was called Craig Alexander, in many ways our nemesis. What a pro he was, but he started being a lion on the hunt, chasing and chasing. And the moral of this story came when there was about 10 kilometers to go. Chris still had about a three or four minute lead coming out of the famed energy lab when I stood at the top waiting for him at the gates. Chris came out, and this was, when I look back, one of my great immature coaching mistakes. Because at that point, Craig was coming. He was running fast. But Chris was also running well. Yes, he was suffering, but he was running well. And he had a three-minute lead with only 10K to go. So what do you do as a coach at that point? Well, here's what I did. Go, Chris! Go, go, go! Go! This is your life! Go! Yes, I got rather excited. Process, not outcome. That's the lesson for an athlete. That's the lesson for a coach. When I look back then, I wish, I wish that I had stayed calm. And I would have said to Chris, keep focus on the basics. Stand tall with good posture. Keep the calories going in. Focus one mile at a time. Stay in the moment. Stay in the moment. But at that time, I went to the outcome. It was going to be a Hawaii Ironman world champion, my first. And I got excited. It's a long time ago. I didn't stay calm. 
as a coach, I don't think I was there for the athlete at that point. Now, how much impact did that really have on Chris's performance? He's a wonderful individual athlete, probably none, but it was and remains a coaching mistake. Many of you guys know the outcome of the story. Craig managed to close the gap. Chris started to suffer. As Craig came by, Chris bravely stayed with him for a mile. And then finally, the elastic snapped. Chris got second place at the Hawaii Ironman World Championship just two minutes behind. But goodness me, we were close. There's great lessons in that story. Don't go up to this race. Don't show up to any race. Overcooked. Make sure that you double down on the pillars of performance, all the simple things, recovery, great nutrition and plenty of food. You don't want to go in underweight. And the backbone of strength and resilience training is critically important. Yes, you must be fit, but you must also be fresh. And that was the origin of the fit and fresh mantra in Purple Patch. It came from that very year with the work with Chris Liedo. And so that was his best result of the Hawaii Ironman. And it was a great result. And what a great pro. But there are lessons to be drawn. And coaches, when your athletes are doing great, don't get excited. Keep them focused on the process. All right, story number two as we go on. Remember, guys, six stories today. Story number two. This is not a story about a pro. This is not a story about getting on the podium. This is not a story that you've read in any magazine. This is a story about an athlete called Colin. And Colin's from England, and I was coaching Colin. As he approached Kona, the Hawaii Ironman, he managed to secure his spot through the lottery. He didn't even qualify. Now, He was a pretty good athlete. He had done a single Ironman, and in fact, had done really pretty well in that Ironman. He'd gone 10 and a half hours. But he made the lottery. Colin's first instinct when he reached out to me for coaching was, what do we need to do? I have a great performance. How does it work? Do I, as a lottery athlete, get to compete against the other athletes, or do I just get to finish? Of course, that was a great time for me to pause. Colin. This is the World Championships. This is Hawaii. This is not an event that you should go to and race. And particularly, you shouldn't race the other athletes. This is your first time at the race. And success for you is to enjoy it, to have fun all day, to look after the basics and almost think about it like a really long training day because this might be the only time that you ever get to go and compete at the Hawaii Ironman World Championships. And so don't get distracted by other people. Don't try and layer expectations on yourself that you're just going to have to carry around the course with you. Instead, let's focus on what it takes to be really consistent all day. And so we broke it down the way that we approached his swimming and biking and running training. And then we thought tactically about the race. And we knew that we had to maintain core temperature. He had to stay fueled all day. He had to make sure that he would be hydrated and not lose big blood volume. The biggest component was consistency. 
He had to pace like it was a training day so that he could have the best race possible. And that race was against himself. And we set out the parameters that every event that made up the Ironman, the swim, the bike, and then the run, we wanted him to feel best or perform best in the back half or third. And so with the swim, he went out calm and controlled. He found a little bit of open and more clear water by staying to the left of the field. Perhaps not the shortest line, but the most comfortable line. And he swam, and as he turned around, staying very consistent and conservative, the waves chopped up. The current was against him, but Colin felt powerful. He stayed consistent. He came out of the water, didn't look at the watch because he realized that looking at the watch would provide him with no useful insight at all onto how his swim was. It's an open water swim with moving currents, non-wetsuit. He had no idea what was good or bad, so why pollute his expectations? He went calmly through transition. He got on the bike. He got comfortable. He settled down. He didn't get too excited in town when the crowds were cheering, and he began his fueling and hydration. He stayed consistent all the way up the long Queen K, and then climbed as the wind started to pick up, thinking about self-management, not forgetting fueling and hydration, never going above and beyond what his capacity was physiologically from the power meter or how he felt on the day. And coming home, he stayed calm and consistent with the single cue, with 35 miles to go. As he got back onto the Queen K, it was all about posture, pedaling, fueling and hydration. Posture, pedaling, fueling and hydration. And he found himself feeling good, staying strong, despite the headwinds. And he kept tension on the chain, and he just stayed within himself, enjoying the ride as he was passing and passing and passing and passing people. When he finally finished the bike ride, he had a little sneaky look down, which I told him not to, but he did, and every athlete is allowed, of course, to ignore the coach sometimes. He looked down, and he was stunned with his bike ride. But of course... You ride for show and you run for dough. Colin came off and we had a strategy. Calm in the first mile, you are going to walk every single aid station. No matter whether you feel great, no matter if you feel grotty, you're going to try to run. And the steep grades, you're going to power walk up and you're going to take a walk break every aid station. And that's going to be a chance to reset your form and posture and a chance to fuel and hydrate. And so he started and he got to mile one, crowds around him. And he paused, he took his hydration in, he saw me, he reset. Smiling, happy, little high five, staying focused. Form, fueling, pacing. Form, fueling, pacing. Consistency all day. Mile two, mile three, turn around. Mile five, mile eight, up the Polani grade, still being consistent. And people went ahead of him, people came back to him, but generally he was moving through the field. He got out to the energy lab, form, fueling, pacing, walk break every mile, carry the leg speed downhill, manage the effort going uphill. The race got very, very tough in the last 10K. It is the Hawaii Ironman. But Colin, form, fueling, pacing, carried on still. He went over Heartbreak Hill, he enjoyed the crowds going downhill, 
He stayed calm all day. And do you know the, you know what the outcome was for Colin? A magical experience. All day, he focused on himself. He embraced the occasion but didn't allow himself to get overwhelmed by it. And he nailed the basics. He never thought about outcomes. He never tried to race. He just did what he needed to do for him to be successful. The result was his very best Ironman. Now, that was only the second one, but it was faster. The stunning result was he was top 15 in his age group. There was someone that had never qualified, that had tried before. And the outcome of the Hawaii Ironman was just an amazing result for him. But while so many people were losing their heads and getting distracted by the occasion and trying to over-race and therefore walking for a long, long time, Colin stayed calm. And in many ways, while he will never get the headlines, while he'll never be the person on social media that we all celebrate, Colin was the epitome of nailing the approach for the vast majority of amateur athletes. Process, not outcome, focusing on yourself, nailing the basics, and enjoying the occasion. Train all day so you can have the race of your life. Story number two. Never over until it's over. Sticking with the process. Trust me when I say this, that I could have told 20 stories about Sarah Piano in this episode. But I decided to stick with this one. This was the year that we felt like Sarah really had come into her own. In the years prior, she'd broken her femur, gone through a whole year of rehab, and now was back. And in fact, while that was a terrible experience, it created the catalyst for her to build a platform of performance. Better strength, better resilience, a little bit of recuperation, a complete redesign in the approach of her training. She was very, very good. And over the course of that rehab, we had really, really focused on her swimming. I really felt like she could be a sub 60 minute swimmer. She was not a strong swimmer as a pro athlete. And so, with great anticipation, the gun goes off and away go the pro female athletes and we begin the never ending wait for the swimmers to come out. Out they come, the fast swimmers. Out come the leads pack, lead pack. And here comes the second pack. Is there any sign of Sarah? And then the third pack. And then a few stragglers. Then some tumbleweed. Then there was a New Orleans jazz funeral going past. And then the pubs entered out in Britain and a few scramblers came across the road looking for their doner kebabs. And finally, second from last place in the pro field came Sarah. It was, by any way you stack it up, a terrible swim for us. As she climbed up Kuakini Highway in the first mile, she saw the peloton descend. She did a little check of her watch and she was 15 minutes down from the front pack. 15 minutes. Surely, surely, surely. 
the race is over. And so what do you do on that day? Do you throw the plan out of the window? Do you just go hell for leather? Here's the remarkable thing. Sarah stayed calm. Just like Colin in our prior story, she just focused on herself. She stuck with her plan and she retained consistency. She rode out smart, stayed up, and her bite legs came to her. It wasn't a bad day. It was a bad execution of a swim. She rode, and in fact, she started to pick up the pace, and she started to catch a little bit. And at the turn, she managed to get a checkpoint. It was about 14 minutes down. That was good because our whole quest was to, quote, back half the bike ride. And so the fact that she hadn't lost time to the group sitting up the front as she rode solo, and in fact had even gained a little time, that was a little cherry, a nice little bonus. So she made her turn, she got her calories in, her hydration, she looked after the basics, and she started to drive the wagons. As she came down the last 35 miles, Sarah was riding very, very well. She made her way through the field a little bit, and she came off the bike not too far down, only about eight minutes away from the top 10. She was in 23rd position, but had ridden very well. She'd gained a few minutes. And so, boom, we stood at the mile marker to watch the runners come through. The first people came through, looked very good. The second, looked very good. Third, fourth, fifth, everyone running very well. Sixth, seventh, all seventh didn't look good, but eight and nine looked good. Ten looked great. Wow, 11, 12, 13, all pretty good and solid one mile in. 15, 16, 17, you know what? This is going to be a hot, hot day. 18, 19, a couple of stragglers, but here comes number 19 and 20 and 21. Hmm, running pretty well. Oh, here's 22, already moved up a place. Goodness me, she is running well. Now, different than the Chris Liedo story, I was a bit older and wiser then. Sarah, calm. Don't try to catch, run your race. Those are about all the words you can get in over the course of a couple of seconds as they flash by. But Sarah calmed down, running really calm. Eight miles in, the next time that we saw the athletes, number one and two looking pretty good. Number three, goodness me, that looks like a different athlete, struggling a little bit. Four, five, and six, doesn't look quite as good. Eight and nine, looking good. Ten, goodness me, that might be the end of the day. Eleven, twelve, thirteen, wow, they look rough. Fifteen, sixteen, hmm. Oh, here is Sarah, number 17, moving through the field, looking graceful. In the hot, hot day that the year that was, she was moving. And over the rest of that race, she ended up nailing a highly consistent race best run. It wasn't as fast as she could physiologically run. Sarah ran a 2.52 off the bike at Ironman Brazil. She ran 3.06, but it was an incredibly sun-baked day where the temperatures were just suppressive. And as people started to blow up, Sarah started to move through the field. With a mile to go, she was in eighth, and the final charge down Polani, probably the fastest amongst any of the pros, moved her into seventh place. A huge breakthrough and a seventh place in the world championship. But more than that, the key reminder 
that triathlon isn't swimming and cycling and running, it's swim, bike, run. And you can go through phases in which you underperform and you can come back in that discipline. You can have whole disciplines that aren't quite so good and you can salvage a great race. And by sticking with the process, retaining belief and staying calm, the outcome can be great. And so it's another reminder, never, ever, ever allow yourself to get drawn to the outcome and never, Sarah P will tell you this, never get defeated and never lose belief in yourself because good things can happen and the outcome can be much better if you allow it to be. All right, we're halfway. Three stories in. The fourth story is going to be about Rachel Joyce. The title of this story is Don't Overcook in the Pursuit of Greatness. So I think it's important when I tell you this story is that I don't just celebrate and say, look at what we did, we did well, because I think you can learn from failure as much as you can learn from greatness. And this was a story of one of the bravest performances I've seen of any athlete, but it was one that came as a result of Rachel being very, very sick in the lead up to the race. Now the title suggests where we're going with this, but in the previous years, Rachel had got sixth and fifth and fourth at the Hawaii Ironman World Championships. She'd gone through and in each of those years had had to overcome some unbelievable adversity. She, earlier in the season, had severed tendons in her foot. It was likely she wasn't even going to get to race. And somehow, as a team, we managed to turn it around. And most importantly, Rachel herself managed to retain belief, have no expectations rather than low expectations, and come out of it with an amazing fourth place at the World Championship. She was, by all design and intent, absolutely ready to go on and win that race. And this was the year. We stuck with our recipe of training, and for the first time ever, nothing went wrong. April, May, June, July. A season of great racing, of great performances. We got very, very excited. She was flying and in good form. So it was exactly then in July that as a coach, you don't get greedy. What you do is you stick with simplicity. And at that point, you should force the athlete, who is very eager and ambitious, to have a little bit of restoration, a little bit of a break, to really make sure that the system gets refreshed. But everything was just going so well, and we were just charging. And both the athlete and, unfortunately, the coach, me, got excited. And we trained. How do we get that little extra edge? Of course, now in hindsight, we didn't need an extra edge. We just need really good training that was consistent. And she'd have to, Rachel be really, really healthy and vibrant. After all, we had achieved full fifth and sixth through adversity. So we didn't need something special. Special was consistency. But I just added and added. And Rachel just added and had a little bit more work and a few more miles. 
and she was very, very fit. But we didn't see the signs because underneath that fitness, which is was what I abhor, fitness and fatigued. You've heard me say it, fit and fatigued. You don't want to be that. You want to be fit and fresh. And how do I know that? Well, a few weeks before the race, she was flying. Two weeks before the race, she was sick as a dog, sore throat with a big infection, fever, chills. That happens for a reason in early October. Yes, it could be bad luck, but surely the immune system was suppressed. And so while on the island for the first week, she had to recover, no training. And just as she managed to emerge, was there any way that she could go and race? She did. She got up. She swam well enough. She rode as well as she could. She ran consistently. And goodness me, she was brave. She managed to secure 11th place or so. And that was incredible in context of what occurred. That was Rachel the warrior in action there. But as a team, and as the head of that team, that was my mistake. One of my worst coaching mistakes. And so it's important to share. Because the lessons there are that the greatest outcomes in endurance, sport, and performance don't come with massive overloads. Heroism isn't doing these epic days, day on and day out, for months on end. It's weaving consistency with high-quality training and arriving at the race really healthy and mentally and physically vibrant. And if you can't do that, a great performance is surely unlikely to occur. And so that year, we got it wrong. As I shared, said in the Word of the Week, Rachel Joyce, one of the greatest athletes to ever grace the sport. And for this year, just that one race, we drew plenty of lessons. And so two stories to go. And story number five is titled Getting the Attitude Right, a Wonderful Performance of Calm. This story is about an amateur athlete, Sami the Bull. Now, that's his nickname. His real name, Sami Inkinen, a Finnish athlete based in the U.S., Sami's a great friend, but we have a wonderful story that's really anchored in pragmatism and it is the epitome of a performance story for the time-starved athlete. You see, when I first met Sami, he'd started a real estate search engine called Trulia. You might have heard of it. And over the next five years, as Trulia built and built and built all the way to going public, Sami wanted to compete at the upper end of amateur triathlon. And so he did the Alcatraz triathlon, the Wildflower triathlon, Vineman as it was called, in that, called then, the 70.3 World Championships, and of course his goal, the Hawaii Ironman World Championships. The challenge was that Sami was extremely time-starved. When you start a startup, that dominates your life. And so what we had in front of us was really an optimization challenge. And Sami came to me and said, yes, I want to be very good. I want to do well, but I must perform in the workplace. And so we really started what gave birth to what we call the Sunday special nowadays. 
plotting each week of training around first his commitments in both life and work. And with what was left over, we then went about optimizing the training. Now, some weeks that would be six hours, some weeks eight hours, typically about 10 hours a week of training that we could squeeze in. And if we were really, really lucky, we might get 12 hours. And so on a recipe of an average of about 10 hours a week, we had to approach sport. And so we thought, how can we do this? We did a little bit of strength and conditioning training. It's one of the pillars. We did a lot of bike riding on the trainer, much of it at very high intensity. We did high-frequency running, quite a bit on the treadmill, a lot of it very, very fast. And then we did a fair amount of swimming, but each of the swim sessions were always paired up with another session, a little bit of strength afterwards, a little bit of run. And so we looked for an overall focus where we could do mostly higher intensity because we just had less hours to play with. And then when he did get lucky or we did sneak the time, we would overload on endurance. Every few weeks go out and do super long running or super long riding, maybe even two days in a row. There, of course, is no shortcut for the recipe of needing to do some of the hours necessary to get ready for this race. But on a typical week, week after week, week after week, eight to 12 hours, a little less if he was really busy, a little more if he had some time to spare. And on top of that, eating plenty, staying calm, and most importantly, prioritizing sleep. We put the sport in context of the life. And we made sure that it was a release and it was fun. And so Sami went through the project and arrived at the start line of the Hawaii Ironman. And before the race, I asked him a question. I said to him, are you worried about the other athletes at all? Because you're doing basically 50% of the hours that your competition is doing. And of course, his answer was, pragmatic. No, because it's not something I can control. What I have done is what is right for me and my situation. And I am fit and I am healthy and I am excited. So my goal is to go and do the best that I can do with my resources and see where I come. It's almost like he'd been listening. And of course, he swam his consistent swim. He was no great swimmer. And then he pulled on his ball shorts and he rode his bike, utilizing a great inner animal and sense of feeling and pacing combined with the power and heart rate data to make sure he wasn't going too strong or out of the bounds of what we thought was physiologically reasonable. And he rode consistently. He didn't think about racing or chasing. He rode his race. With the quest, just like Chris Lieto, just like our friend Colin, to have the back half of that bike ride be consistent, form, fueling, pacing. And he got off the bike and he ran his run. Good leg speed, setting up good posture and form, not chasing, not racing, but doing what was necessary for him. And as he moved through the field, staying calm, smiling, staying pragmatic, in fact, every time you saw Sami on the race course as you darted around and tried to get to him from a standing position, you'd shout out, 
Sami, how's it going? Yes, I am feeling good. Things are okay. I must continue to fuel and hydrate, and I must keep my leg speed or they will slow up. It was almost like getting a little mini race report over the course of 20 seconds as he could shout in and shout past me. He was calm. Calm, calm, calm. And he never thought about the others because the others were things that he could control. He didn't think about what he hadn't done. He thought about what he had to do to perform. And yes, if Sami hadn't have been building a really successful tech company, then we would have delivered more training hours. The insight isn't that 10 to 12 hours a week is the best recipe to your performance. The insight that is that in Sami's situation, if we piled 16 or 18 hours, he probably would have failed. And so the best recipe for success is the one that can integrate into your life. And so Sami went under nine hours, under nine hours in the Hawaii Ironman, age group world champion in the same year as the 70.3 world championship. That's not too bad for 10 hours a week. And the final story, I can only give you this title, guys. Don't stand downwind. You see, the Hawaii Ironman can be very, very windy. And as a spectator, oh, it can wreak havoc with you. It really can wreak havoc with you. But one of the traditions that we used to have and do a little less now was to watch the pros come out of the swim, jump into a minivan, drive up to the top of the mountain, race across the top road as they were hurtling up the Queen K on their bikes, scream down from Waimea, park it, try and scramble down to the end of the Queen K to try and catch a glimpse. And as the pros went down and passed us and then started their climb to Harvey, along would come the age groupers. Vroom, 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 vroom as all of the spectators clustered at the end of the Queen K would begin to base, bask, no, bake in the heat. There is no shade. There is no cover. We just stood there, drinking drinks, eating snacks, and waiting. And as our little cadre of 10 or 15 spectators eagerly waited the return of the Purple Patch Pros, we cheered as age groupers flew by. Vroom, vroom, vroom and it started to pick up with wind. And it got very windy. As it swept down the mountain, we had the wind in our face. And as I bit into my sandwich with drink in hand, I looked up. Is it raining? Not a cloud in the sky. How can it be raining? And I stood next to me, and my friend Peter looked down, and I saw him look at his hand. Is it raining? And as I looked down, the spectators, I saw everyone looking at themselves. The sun is out and yet it's raining. And then the lesson of Kona came forward. Never stand downwind. Because if an age grouper on his bike decides to take the world's largest pea, you're going to get a golden shower. I don't know what Trump did but I know what we did. 
we just grit our teeth. And so the lesson for you folks, don't stand downwind in Kona. See, spectators suffer too. I hope you enjoyed the stories. Six of the favorite stories, at least the first five, full of real lessons. And so to finish today, ladies and gentlemen, we actually have the return of the Peter Minute. Folks, this is it. It has come time for the Peter Minute, or this weekend, more like Peter's 12 hours or so. The event is here in Oregon, running a long, 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 long way. I cannot say more, except that Peter is quietly confident, and he, so far, has declared it a successful campaign. He just needs to steer clear of the bar the night before. And so, that's it. I can't say more. That's the Peter Minute. But you just know that there's some fun coming next week, don't you? Oh, and talking in next week, please, 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 fix it for me. No, please don't miss it. It's going to be a fun one. The Big Reveal. Insight onto a magical weekend that we have in store for you guys. Yes, you listeners, mid-November. You will be able to reset your performance. You're going to get armed for anything that next year throws us. We are going to remove the cloaks of 2020 and charge at 2021. Mental resilience, physical resilience, positive performance habits. Oh, and a little bit of Mark Allen splashed in there as well. It is a goodie, so please tune in. Until then, enjoy the Kona week. Let us know if you need anything. Keep driving forward, stay safe, and afford yourself a little smile. Onward, take care. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, would really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Cheers.